General Well Servicing CAODC Podcast. We've got a great show for you this month. Q1 2020 numbers are in. Uh, Chris Sevlanos from Rigger Talk joins us quickly, and our special guest is Canadian Energy Centre CEO Tom Olson. So let's get right into it. Uh, we've got Chris Sevlanos from Rigger Talk uh, joining us now. Chris, welcome. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me. How are you doing these days? Good. You know, it's breakup right now, so things have slowed down a little bit, but uh, the industry's starting to come back together. It's been a weird one, but oil prices are getting up there, so it's going to be interesting come June. So for those in our listening audience who don't know, uh, you are a longtime oil field professional. Can you give us sort of a bit about your background so that people can understand where uh, Rigger Talk came from? Yeah, absolutely, John. Uh, so I guess I've been in the industry for over 28 years. Just like any kid graduating, not sure what you're going to do. I went to the service and drilling rigs for years. And uh, for the last 18 years, I've been a well site supervisor, looking after service rigs, completions, abandonments, whatnot. So, yeah, that's kind of where we're at here today. And you're based, so you've probably worked all over the place. Where did you get your start? Well, I went to Kindersley when I first graduated. And from there, I went to the drilling rigs, mostly up north in the winters, summer times, always around. I don't know, Rocky Mountain House, Silver Lake and stuff, did that, I think, for seven more years and just kind of kept on going, see where it took me. And how did the idea for Rigger Talk kind of start? Well, I had the idea about 10 years ago, honestly, John. It was one of those things that I was actually in, um, up by Grand Prairie and I couldn't find a service. So he was going through phone books and everything else, taking pictures of billboards on the side of the road, knowing that I'm going to need these guys' numbers, and it was frustrating. So if you don't know this area or the services, it was tough to find numbers. So I always thought, how can I get real-time information on an app or on a website and stuff like that? So as time went on, I just kept on thinking, and I talked to programmers, and I said, this is kind of what I want to see. Everybody taking control of their own company's information in real time. And then I started a journey of rigor talk, and that's how we are today. Well, it sure has come a long way. Um, where are you at with, uh, I, I mean, I have, I have to update the numbers all the time. I mean, I think our last one, I was saying 350,000 users or? Yeah, so with this time, especially COVID, it's been different times. I think as much as COVID's hurt the business, it's actually helped the business, push people more online doing stuff. So. That has been positive. We are at about 385,000 users now, actually a bit more. So our daily users are through the roof. And it's been positive that way, people trying to find services. So people on Rigger Talk, it's been actually doing what it's supposed to do, which is very, you know, humbling. It's been very exciting. So yeah, it's been really good that way. But that being said as well, you know, not being able to advertise to the extent that we wanted to, like even myself this year, the last 14 months of COVID, we've missed 19 oil shows, 13, you know, flights to the States. So it's not always good. So there's good and bad with it, but the overall success of Rigger Talk's been very humbling, been good. What's new? What's coming up? Well, for new technology, you mean? Or just like initiatives, with, or yeah, with with the, the app and uh, the website. So, I know you yeah, guys we have are a new website. The app. 
Yeah, we are we are updating the app. We do got new things coming in. Obviously, it's always technology changing, keeping up to speed. So we're always keeping up with that stuff. And it's listening to our customers. What do they want to see? So we do have a couple new things coming in, more on the side of uh, buy selling equipment. They would like to see more, you know, real time. And we may be getting involved with an actual tracking sheet. So there's a few things coming down. But overall, I think it's more or less just the day-to-day -day stuff, making sure everyone's happy with it. You know, it's one of those things. It's tough to get people on a website and app when people don't know of it when it first comes out. And I remember the days when I think the first day when I had 85 people on our website and app, I was just like, oh, boy, people are seeing it. You know, and, to, you know, days now when you have 85 to 200 people on that minute. So it is exciting for the people that are actually utilizing it and getting found on it for sure. It's good. So I understand you have an exclusive offer ready to go for the CAOTC podcast listeners. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so uh, we do understand that it's been tough times through this COVID. Some companies actually did better, but what we are doing for members is if they do want to get on Rigger Talk, they can just uh, send me an email to info at riggertalk.com. That is on our website, which is riggertalk.com. And let us know that uh, you heard about us through the COTC, and we'll give you multiple locations. It is $99 a month, so very inexpensive to get on, but that's for one location. So we'll offer that for more locations, up to six locations, to help your company get found on the actual map. Wonderful. And so how long can our listeners sort of do that for? How long is the offer going to last? We're going to probably extend that to probably June 1st, coming out of breakup, because it is going to get busy, I think, coming through there. And we want people to start getting found because, and it's not about getting found. Rigger Talk also helps out your search engine optimization. But again, like already today, we've seen that there was 1,900 people on the website. And a lot is drilling rigs, which is good. That's uh, CODC's, you know, pretty much your map, your data, which is exciting as well, because I think it coincides with our what we're doing here. And it's very exciting that way. But Right now is the time people are actually preparing. When it is does get busy getting out of breakup, they want to know where are the water trucks, where are the vac trucks, you know, even hotels. Where are we going to stay? People are preparing for that because it is, it's going to be busier than last year at this time. And I think you guys realize that as well. Well, that's excellent. There you go. Um, if you want to get on to Rigger Talk, you have an exclusive opportunity until June 1st. To send Chris an email at info at riggertalk.com and get on there. Uh, it's a great site, lots of great information. Uh, so thank you very much for joining us, Chris. We appreciate it. Yes, thanks, John. And also, we thank you very much for your sponsorship. It's been, uh, we've had a great partnership for quite a few years now, and uh, we really appreciate that as well. Absolutely. You're welcome, and thank you for having me. Our industry update is brought to you by Riggertalk. RiggerTalk is your global energy services network. Join the growing RiggerTalk community of over 380,000 energy professionals worldwide. Get pinned on the map today at RiggerTalk.com. On the drilling side, in March we saw 2,830 operating days compared with 3,205 in March of last year for a 12% decrease year over year. Month over month, we had 4,213 operating days in February, so we are down 33% compared to last month's numbers. 
Active rigs for the month averaged 107, down from 123 in 2020, or a decrease of 3,200 jobs year over year. That job decrease is the smallest we've seen in months. For example, last month our year-over-year job decrease was over 16,000 based on 84 working rigs. Our registered drilling rig fleet sits at 489, down 22 rigs, or 4% year-over-year. Provincially, in March, Alberta averaged 70% of active rigs, BC 21%, Saskatchewan 9%. In 2020, Alberta had 71% of active rigs, Saskatchewan had 19%, BC 9% and Manitoba 1%. On average over the month, 56 rigs were drilling for oil and 46 were drilling for gas, so a fairly even oil to gas split. The increase in BC activity this year is in the natural gas exploration area. On the service rig side, operating hours in March were up 31% over 2020 totals. March's totals were 95,327 operating hours versus 72,571 in March of 2020, an increase of 22,756. Month over month, we had 83,372 op hours in February, so we are up 11,955 hours or 14%. The working service rate count was down four month over month to 485 and down from 528 in 2020 or 43 rigs year over year. Hours per working rig are up 33 this year over last year from 107 in 2020 to 140 hours per working rig this year and they are up 27 from last month's 114. Provincially, this March, Alberta saw 65% of service rig activity, Saskatchewan 24%, BC 7%, and Manitoba 3%, and we had a couple of rigs working in Ontario and the Northwest Territories. Last year, the provincial breakdown had Alberta at 69%, Saskatchewan at 22%, BC at 4%, and Manitoba at 5%. So not much change provincially year over year with BC picking up 3% of market share to almost double its presence, whereas Saskatchewan's 2% loss wasn't as material because they went from 22% to uh, 24%. According to their April 6 short-term energy outlook, the U.S. Energy Information Administration is estimating global energy consumption was up 100,000 barrels per day month over month at 96 million barrels. In March, for an increase of 4.7 million barrels per day from last year. EIA has increased their forecasted average global consumption level for 2021 by 200,000 barrels per day to 97.7 million. And their 2022 forecast for global consumption has been adjusted downwards slightly from an increase of 3.8 million barrels per day to 3.7 million barrels per day and a total daily consumption average of 101.3 million barrels per day. EIA is also predicting higher WTI pricing for the third month in a row, with their 2021 estimate up an additional $1.64 from last month to $58.89 USD. That total is $8.64 higher than their February number. On the natural gas side of the equation, as expected, Henry Hub natural gas spot price month over month have decreased 
from their inflated highs due to unusually cold weather down south. Spot prices averaged $2.62 per million BTUs, which is down from the February average of $5.35. EIA has also revised its 2021 average gas price from $3.14 to $3.04, which is still a dollar higher than 2020 prices. The downward direction on gas pricing is related to lower consumption for electric power generation due to the higher price, although EIA anticipates that residential and commercial consumption will increase year over year. As of today, April 22, we are well into breakup and sitting at 56 active rigs compared with 26 this time last year. Of those 56 rigs, approximately 59% are drilling for gas, 39% for oil, and 2% potash. And that's it for the industry update. Our industry update is brought to you by RiggerTalk. RiggerTalk is your global energy services network. Join the growing RiggerTalk community of over 380,000 energy professionals worldwide. Get pinned on the map today at RiggerTalk.com. All right, please stick around because after the break, we will be back with the Canadian Energy Center's CEO, Tom Olson. General Well Servicing is a premier and proud family-run service rig contractor, serving our customer base in southeast Saskatchewan and southwest Manitoba since 1996. For over 25 years, we have been building one of the most efficient, hardworking, driven, and safest reputations in the area through hiring and training our best asset, our people. To learn more about General Well Servicing, check us out online at general.fasttruckingservice.com. Welcome back. Joining us now is Tom Olson, CEO of the Canadian Energy Centre. Thank you very much for joining us today, Tom. Pleasure. How are things going these days? <laughs> things are fabulous. I got my first... Uh... COVID shot and it's sunny outside, so, uh, you know, things are looking up. Good news. Well, thank you very much uh, for taking the time to join us on the General Well Servicing CAODC podcast. And today we're going to talk a little bit about some of the problems facing our industry and what you guys are doing essentially to help promote, defend, and advocate for us. So what have you been up to lately? Well, listen, I, I appreciate the opportunity, John. Um, We've been doing an awful lot, uh, and I'll sort of touch on some of the high points. Um, we launched in October of 20, sorry, we were incorporated in October of 2019. We launched in December of 2019. So we've been operational for about 16 months. And um, a couple of the high points of the year, we have a, uh, what we call, when we work, Canada works uh, national marketing campaign. And we've been in the, uh, in the uh, market for, uh, since last July, we suspended it for a little bit of time over uh, Christmas period. Um, but for the most part, we have been telling Canadians about the industry, oil and gas specifically, and uh, its ability. I mean, this industry has been the backbone of the economy uh, for, and it will be again. I mean, $480 billion um, in uh, to... Uh, provincial, municipal, federal governments from 2000 to 2018. Um, and we're telling people that the, the industry is here and ready to go to help support as we come through COVID. 
Uh, one of the things that we know, um, well, there's a few things that we've learned, and that is that um, Canadians support the industry and Canadians want to know more about the industry. So a big part of what we do is, is what we call energy literacy. And uh, we will talk about, as I mentioned, the uh, amount of money that uh, accrues to governments right across the, the country, and this pays for your hospitals and you know, your schools, whatever it is. Uh, 500,000 jobs and spin-offs across the country again. This is not uh, an industry, it's hugely beneficial to Alberta, but it's uh, of great benefit to the to the whole country. So we've had millions of people see our uh, digital billboards in DTA in Vancouver and Halifax. We've had radio spots, um, all forms of digital communication on whatever your media of choice is, uh, morning news ads. And the, the goal is, the intent is to get to people wherever they get their information from. We, we hit them with an ad about when we work, Canada works, and there'll be some factoid about, did you know, we create 500,000 jobs across the country, and then we drive people to the website. And one of the great things about this campaign that we have learned is that people who recall it, you, you set a, a baseline when you go into the, into the uh, market, and then you come back and you see how you've done. And a vast majority of people who have who, who recall the campaign uh, are looking for more information. They they say they're going to uh, go to our website. They're going to go to other industry and associations websites. So we feel we feel very good about that campaign. Um, we also do uh, we call it. Uh, I don't say fight uh, fight back. I say fight for, advocate for. I mean, there's a lot of misinformation out there about the industry, and it just keeps coming. And a recent example, uh, a report out of Simon Fraser University, and it was full of a lot of, uh, of falsehoods. One of the most egregious, though, was this inflated uh, prediction of the chance of a marine marine oil spill related to TMX. Uh, you know, there's not been a marine oil spill, oil spill related to Trans Mountain, but suddenly you have this prediction that somehow, you know, there's a, a catastrophic chance that it's going to happen. And so we, uh, we, we use this format we call uh, Matter of Fact, and we just by point by point, we rebut these things, put them on our social channels, we kick them out to our network of supporters. Um, some of the other, some of the advocacy campaigns we do is uh, Regina City Council, for example. You may recall a couple months ago, there was a policy put forward or, or a motion put forward that um, oil and gas not be allowed to sponsor municipal events. I think was the wording, and we mobilized our a group of supporters, and uh, you know we were a part of the thousands of emails that went to city councils there. The, the mayor. Said something like I should call it an avalanche of responses. Now they, we won't take complete credit for that, but we certainly helped. I mean, we were responsible for thousands of people saying, "What are you talking about? This is an industry that puts food on the table. We're world leading in terms of ESG. This is short-sighted virtue signaling." So, I, you know, we we have, uh, as I say, been operational about 16 months. All kinds of campaigns, all kinds of research briefs, uh, all kinds of marketing. And it's a great pleasure to be on your show to talk about it because we don't spend a lot of time uh, campaigning in Alberta. Campaigning is the wrong term. Advertising in Alberta. And it's a bit of damned if you do, damned if you don't. Because on one hand, if we advertise in Alberta, people say, well, what are you advertising in Alberta for? You've got us. You know, we're your base. Uh, then if we don't, people say, what are you doing? I don't hear anything about what you guys are doing. So 
it's uh, appreciate this opportunity. Well, we use a lot of your research uh, for our own campaign, Oil Respect. Um, you know, the energy for Canada's recovery was one of the themes that we were working on uh, towards the end of last year, and we used a lot of the good data on your website. And I think it's um, for for those of us who are in the business of uh, trying to debunk some of the myths, as you were talking about, but who don't have the time to do the research, uh, I feel like the uh, center has been very valuable because the papers that you guys have, the data that you publish, uh, can be picked up uh, and utilized by those who are looking. And, and you know, not just for, for those of us who are um, in the advocacy space, but also if you're looking to educate yourself about the industry and you hear some of these things that, that come up, and, and you talked about some of the misinformation I saw just uh, today online that uh, there's another article in The Guardian talking about the uh, renewable capacity in Australia, and the way it comes across as though renewables are ready to sort of step in and replace the base load that uh, fossil fuel provides in that uh, on that continent. And it's not the case. And when you read the uh, article critically, you understand that it, it uh, isn't the case, but they're, they're sort of presenting it as though renewables are capable of doing a lot more than they actually are. And so these are the challenges. And I mean, I think both sides do it to some degree, but uh, it's important to have the facts so that you can sift through all of the information uh, and educate yourself properly. So I think you guys are doing a great job of that. Uh, what are some of the other challenges that you've encountered uh, in the 16 months that you guys have been sort of going here? Well, I'll, uh, let me get to that, but I just want to talk very briefly about uh, the information we've put out there. You know, the re I, I agree with you, we do world-class research. And then the, the um, goal is to make that accessible to the greatest possible audience. There are people like folks in the industry, um, Academics who will go and are interested, in, and some you know lay people as well interested in, in the research. Research, but we uh, we tell stories based on that research to make it um, you know make it uh, more um, accessible to people. We we talked about uh, one of our research campaigns was to do with uh, TMX, an Indigenous opportunity, and we found that uh, you know great number of bands signing agreements. Um, with uh, with the with the uh, contracts with with TMX um, through construction, and, and then what we did was we went and we found individuals who talked about the jobs that they had, you know, working on the line, running a bulldozer, whatever it was, and the great benefits come, you know, path out of the poverty and the ability of um, them feeling as though they they'd had an opportunity to contribute to to the environmental stewardship. So. Uh, yeah, very. I mean, I mean, it's all about taking this information and and packaging it in a way that gets to the greatest number of people wherever you are. As I said before, wherever you you pick up your phone, bang, we're there. You know, you turn on your radio, we're there. Um, and it's all about again, it's not Alberta's industry. This is this is Canada's industry, and I'll I'll talk more later. But it's about this is a can be a huge benefit. It is a huge benefit to the entire world. In terms of challenges, your members will know well. I mean, there is a uh, well-organized effort to uh, to take this industry out, um, uh, focused on Canada and in the United States too. As soon as KXL was killed by the president, there were NGOs, anti-oil and gas activists who were 
turning to line three, line five, TMX, even CGL. Um, we had been advocating for KXL for more than a year. We started uh, an open letter to the Prime Minister um, encouraging him to uh, aggressively promote KXL to then candidate Biden. Of course, he didn't do that. Um, we, uh, you know, we, one of the things I think that KXL demonstrated to us is the importance of getting pipelines to our own coasts. I mean, the United States is a, uh, is an important ally and friend and customer and all of those things, but, you know, we need to get pipelines to, to the coast. So we're dealing with these individuals who, uh, want to shut us down. Um, one of the, I've talked about these matter of facts and we'll extend those. Uh, there's a CNN report and it was to do with, uh, with KXL. It was a mini documentary and it was about 12 minutes of uh, stuff that really wasn't so. And so we countered that point by point and we made a video and that video has been viewed thousands of times. And actually on that point, I'll tell you about it, our, our most successful campaign. We partnered with the Indian Resource Council and their uh, CEO guy called Stephen Buffalo, and it was to do with um, Jane Fonda. Jane Fonda went on Instagram, Minnesota, protesting Line 3, and she stopped by it. I'm not sure what it was. It was a wellhead or what it was, but pointed to it and said that uh, this was uh, oil coming from, um, it made us sound like an enemy of the United States, Canada, a foreign country, and uh, the oil that was the worst. Um, uh, so we we partnered with the Indian Resource Council, as I said, and we did a, a short video. And it, basically what it was was Stephen Buffalo, the CEO, who said, um, Ms. Fonda, uh, uh, heard you talking about uh, uh, oil from Alberta, and like to invite you to a fact-based discussion on Zoom. Talked about a couple things he'd like to bring to her attention uh, where she was uh, maybe misinformed. That video got more than 350,000 views on our uh, channels, uh, you know, tens of thousands more in the IRC, probably was up around half a million. So we're very pleased with that. And uh, no response from Jane Fonda, however. Well, that's not surprising. Um, the uh, Those types of, of uh, uninformed attacks are damaging. Uh, we we know about the, uh, the Bigfoot movie, and, and I only bring that up just to say that uh, there has to be some strategy behind writing a storyline like that into a movie with um, a younger audience. And, and um, I think one of the rationales would be, uh, you know, getting that type of ideology into, into people when they're um, taking in a lot of, of new information and trying to set and form ideas early. And so I think it was extremely important for you, uh, your group, to to get out in front of that and, and at least highlight the point that it seemed to be uh, very deliberate, uh, the approach that was taken there. And even just shining some light on that, I think, is very valuable uh, because there's always the defense that it's it's just art or it's just a story. But I think there, uh, you know, it was probably some, some pretty deliberate uh, thought that went into how the oil field would be portrayed in that movie and and it's wrong and we know it's wrong and so uh, I think it was a good job uh, on your part to get out and and uh, shine a light on that I, I appreciate that when I uh, when that um, 
when the idea for that came was for the campaign was first brought to me, it was uh, one of our people who had heard about it from a parent outside of the agency, and uh, he watched the movie and then he came to me. And when he first told me about a animated Bigfoot cartoon that we were going to do an advocacy campaign around, I was I was dubious because our critics are always looking for ways to uh, to criticize us you know, fairly or unfairly. And then I watched the movie, and I realized that a part of what we do uh, is—I mean, this was a, this was an advocacy campaign. It's a small part of what we do. It, it was turned into like this was the, you know, all that we do on an ongoing basis—millions of dollars to uh, to address uh, falsehoods in a in a cartoon. It's a very small part of what we do, but an important part because there are messages that go to kids. I mean, we know that there are uh, there are messages contained in uh, in other movies um, there's some I don't know if it's in curriculum but certainly uh, presentations in schools and the message is about oil and gas usually they're not as 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 harsh and one-sided as this particular movie this movie I, I don't know if you watched it but basically the oil uh, company executives were were evil just pure evil um, they uh, would stop at nothing to uh, to access the oil, they would destroy the valley. They would murder a child and his family. I mean, it was it was so, you know, it was it was just. And, and if you're a kid, I mean, we we celebrate kids' movies all the time. I'm a father of four, so you know, there's messages in kids kids' movies, and we celebrate them. They're positive messages, you know, um, fighting adversity, importance of friendship, whatever it is. And then some people would say to me, "Well, it's just a kids' movie." Well, it's not just a kids' movie. I mean, it is, but it isn't. And we had we got a lot of support. I mean, there's a lot of noise over it. Um, and we got a lot of coverage, and we, got, you know, to me it was a great success. For example, you talk about the Guardian. The Guardian is a. We tried to get something placed in the Guardian one time. They just laughed at us. I mean, that is a, That's an enviro newspaper. newspaper. They're not media outlet. They're they have no interest in us. But we got in the Sun in uh, the UK Sun, which, as I understand it, is the largest circulating newspaper in the UK, and they basically printed about five graphs of Canada, and and uh its focus on esg i mean it, it was a it was a great win we had a lot of support from from people who understood why we were doing what we we're doing um so I, you know i i stood by it from the beginning and i and i still do and again I, you know i'll point out a small part of what we do when i talked earlier about sort of more broadly what we do we're, we're i describe us as a, a marketing advocacy communications agency with a robust research arm so we're doing stuff all the time the only things you read about in the media typically is when uh, you know there's something that can find into looking like uh, it's controversial yeah so you mentioned that uh, you primarily use digital marketing for a lot of your content uh, what success have you seen through that so far this is very important because uh, our uh, our uh, audience is not in Alberta, as I said before. We're all over Canada and into the United States and ultimately into Europe. We can talk more about that, about the, what the year ahead is gonna look like because we're gonna be doing some work on on ESG and divestment and those sorts of things. But it's about identifying where your audiences are and going to them. And um, we, you know, we've used some uh, companies that are very sophisticated in their ability to target audiences we want to hear from us and I'll, I'll go back to what I said before our research shows people the majority of people and I'm talking across the country including Ontario Quebec 
there's a disconnect, it seems, uh, between some of the political class in Quebec and, and the citizenry. They support the industry and they want to know more about the industry. So that's been working well. We've been identifying these audiences and we've been going to them with these messages that uh, and a, a big part of what this does is, is you want people to understand uh, how the uh, industry is protecting the environment, the, the high standards that are set here in Canada, um, so that they are comfortable supporting this industry. If they're comfortable, policymakers are more inclined to be comfortable. So that's a, a part of the goal in energy literacy is to you know, these folks who say, yeah, we support uh, oil and gas, and I want to know what they're doing to, you know, reduce emissions, uh, reduce water use, whatever it is. And, and we're using uh, digital marketing, digital targeting to find those people and tell the story and uh, having some success on it. You just uh, mentioned a little bit about what's coming up. What do you have sort of outlined for the next uh, year or so or a few months or I don't know what your uh, timelines are, but... Uh... <laughs> Sort well, of future broadly, work. yeah, broadly, um, we uh, we will continue with the uh, post-COVID economic recovery, uh, and there are other several other themes we'll look at. Divestment is an issue. We have a, a campaign this week, and it's about uh, the New York Pension Fund. Make sure I get it correct. But the New York Pension Fund, they divested. This is an interesting one. They divested seven million from the oil sands, or a decision to to do so. But they'll maintain $670 million investments in Exxon and Chevron. And then they also will maintain investment in big tobacco. So, I, you know, it's just straight up virtue signaling. So uh, we will uh, talk about divestment um, uh, in Canada and beyond uh, insurance companies and banks in Europe. Uh, that's all tied to ESG. Uh, bottom line if there's going to be all, all credible forecasts say that there will be a demand for the product for years to come. I mean, Russia knows this. Russia is investing $170 billion, billion into an oil company to meet this demand and hoping slash expecting we're not going to be a part of the equation. There's going to be a, a demand and we should meet it. I mean, the the uh, the money that is spent on clean tech here in Canada, I, I, I keep going back to this, but the money and the time and the attention placed on reducing the environmental footstep is footstep is huge in Canada, and we absolutely should be meeting the uh, the demands, the global demands, as they move as a you know as we move forward decades ahead. Uh, there are emerging economies that need access to uh, to uh, cheap and reliable sources of energy. And there's a lot of coal being used. I mean, there's hundreds of, of uh, coal-fired electricity plants being built. If we get uh, our natural gas and supplant some of that coal, immediate reduction in greenhouse gas emissions globally, and that's the goal. Um, so we'll be doing that. We'll be looking at pipelines, uh, access to, to our coasts, uh, security of supply in the United States. Uh, all, all kinds of work, all kinds of work ahead of us. So with all that work going on, how are you benchmarking? Like, you know, what what uh, check marks are you looking at so you can sit back and say, okay, this is kind of working as we have planned it? It's a good question. And we rely, um, we, we work with uh, marketing firms, communications firms, and 
they uh, they have a very sophisticated uh, audience segmentation. They set the baseline, run the campaign, and then come back with uh, differences baseline through to the end of the uh, end of the campaign. And that's a big part of what we do. That's a big part of how we figure out what we're doing. Um, we do public polling. Uh, we know there's an issue somewhere. We will address whatever that issue is. Go back, have some sense, get some sense of, of how we move the dial. Uh, six percentage points last time I saw in Ontario uh, uh, to do with oil and gas moving in the right direction, perception on oil and gas. So it's a it, it's a science. I mean, you know, it's not uh, something that is that is um, we're doing an instinct. It's it's governed by research that we do, and I'm not talking about the research into the industry. I'm talking about uh, what people know, what people think they know, uh, what the common misconceptions are, what it is that people want more information on. That's what, I mean, we know there's a huge thirst for information, and then meeting that need. Well, that's terrific. I mean, as I mentioned, the uh, the research component alone is extremely valuable, and I think uh, all Albertans and, and Canadians uh, should be thankful that it's there because if they're looking for some facts and, and figures and, uh, you know, ways of advocating for the industry that's so important to our country, uh, they've got it there. So thank you for the good work you're doing. We've been joined by Tom Olson, Chief Executive Officer of the Canadian Energy Centre. Thanks for your time today. Appreciate it. Thank you. That's it for another edition of the General Well Servicing CAODC podcast. Thanks again for joining us. If you have any feedback or suggestions for future shows, please drop us a line at communications at caodc.ca. We hope you all have a great month, and until next time, keep it turning to the right.